There are a number of good reasons for the United States to stay engaged in Afghanistan. Those include, like, you know, counterterrorism, great power competition, and, the, I mean, the most importantly, the position of the United States in the world and protection of human rights, which is a part of our democratic values so and all of them are in our benefit and ignoring them will affect other people's life here at home and that's why we should stay engaged this is the orientalist express podcast episode 30 This is the show that brings together young professionals from all over the world to discuss a variety of topics related to the Middle East, American foreign policy, and international relations. The goal of this podcast is to make American foreign policy interesting and easy to understand for those who don't follow it too closely. I'm Nicholas Hayen, founder of the Orientalist Express site and president of the Board of Directors for the Minnesota International NGO Network. I'm joined today in the virtual studio by a special guest star, Nazila Jimshidi. Nazila is a gender equity and human rights specialist involved in Afghanistan's development and democracy processes during the past decade. Nazila worked with various international organizations like the United Nations, USAID, and IFRC to integrate gender perspectives and human rights approaches in creating and implementing development and humanitarian programs and policies. Nazila moved to the United States from Afghanistan in 2016 where she pursued her undergraduate education at Georgetown University. And she currently is an MA candidate at Columbia University. Nazila is also a member of the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition's 2021 Next Gen Global Leaders Network, of which I myself am also a member, and that's kind of how we met each other. So welcome, Nazila. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So today's discussion is going to be all about the future of Afghanistan, now that U.S. troops are officially leaving the country. So after two decades of conflict, President Biden is making good on his promise to end American military involvement. But this doesn't mean that we should just forget Afghanistan or ignore it once the last soldiers are gone. After all, the Taliban rose to power during a power vacuum in the country during the 1990s, and they have made significant territorial gains these past few months, even as the U.S. continues its evacuation. So with all that in mind, we're very excited and honored to have a guest on today who shares that perspective from Afghanistan, having grown up in the country throughout the entire U.S. involvement. So Nazila, thank you so much again for your contributions today, and um, let's go ahead and get started. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And with regard, I mean, with regard to your, just like you said, uh, uh, as we are leaving the country militarily, it doesn't mean that we should forget about Afghanistan. This October will mark the 20th anniversary of the United States war and engagement in Afghanistan. And it will be uh, when the American troops will leave the country, I mean Afghanistan. And I think I, I think it's a good decision to leave the country militarily, but, uh, but I believe uh, it's important to reinforce our engagement diplomatically. Uh, while we don't know how long our diplomatic engagement will last in Afghanistan, I believe it's important to stay engaged as long as it takes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where I think many Americans look at it and go, we, we've been there for almost 20 years. And as you said, you know, it's it's time to leave. There's just not much more that a military solution could necessarily create. 
but we absolutely cannot just disengage entirely. That would be the worst possible outcome, and that would be the outcome that would most likely result in very unfortunate circumstances arising in Afghanistan. So you're right that continuing that um, engagement is absolutely critical. So last month in his meeting with Afghan leaders, President Biden reassured them that the U.S. will continue to support Afghanistan financially and, diplom and diplomatically. So why would you say it's important to stay engaged in Afghanistan? Well, as we just mentioned, uh, it's, uh, it's important to stay uh, uh, diplomatically rather than militarily. And uh, Americans' engagement in Afghanistan, I mean in the last two decades, uh, resulted in huge progress in, Af in Afghanistan economy, social norms, access to education, gender equality, politics, public health, and many and many other areas. We made uh, significant progress in each of the areas I just mentioned about. Uh, for example, for uh, with regards to women's rights and human rights, uh, we made a notable progress. Look at Afghanistan today. I mean, today we have women's part participation in every se sector almost, whether it's politics, education, law enforcement, and many other areas. Women are involved. Women have active participation. Afghans have been practicing uh, democracy and freedom of speech for the last 20 years. And it's something that Afghans appreciate about the U.S. engagement. And also, let me tell you, it's, uh, it's for the United States, also for the United States national interest to promote freedom, better economy, peace and stability, I mean, human rights in the world, right? Especially in Afghanistan, which has a long history of human rights violation, conflict and instability. It, I mean, it, it uh, justify our uh, engagement. Um, our pursuit of national interest after the Second World War led us to uh, create a more democratic and more prosperous world, right? And similarly, in Afghanistan, our engagement to, led to uh, reducing the threat of the terrorism uh, against, against the United States and also preventing Afghanistan from being a place like a safe haven for Al-Qaeda to organize and conduct its attack on the United States and its allies. So these engagements not only ensure our security, but reduces the threat to the world's, uh, to the world's security with whom we are interacting with whom we are trading with whom our who are our friends around the world so uh yes i should say it's very important to stay engaged yeah and, and you bring up a lot of good points about just how far afghanistan has come in the last 20 years you know let's not forget that prior to u.s involvement you know Af afghanistan was completely run by the taliban in a very brutal and repressive repressive regime and, you know, these things like, like women's rights and freedom and basic democratic processes were just nowhere to be found. And so there is a tremendous amount that Afghanistan has gained. But um, it's one thing to remember that e even though it doesn't necessarily, from an American perspective, look like too much has changed here in the United States, fundamentally much, almost everything probably has changed in Afghanistan. And we can't forget, we can't forget that when we're looking at what has 20 years of American involvement in Afghanistan, what has that produced? It has produced a tremendous amount of change in Afghanistan, and that's something that's worth holding on to and not letting that fall apart. 
So what what do you think that diplomatic engagement in, in Afghanistan should look like then? Oh, yeah, that's very important. I mean, it, uh, uh, being engaged it is one thing and being engaged properly is another thing. One of the most important areas is that, uh, I, I mean, in my opinion, is that we should remain diplomatically involved in the Afghan peace process. It's very, very important. The United States needs to use its diplomatic uh, leverage to encourage regional and domestic actors to advance a negotiated settlement. A stable Afghanistan will improve security and economic connectivity throughout the region. Then it's important for us to emphasize uh, on the Afghan peace process. If we look at the root causes of war in Afghanistan, we will find an ideologically committed insurgency, high rate of violence, weak governance, corruption, and insufficient economic development as the main causes of the of the war and conflict. And observing the current situation of Afghanistan as we see it today, most of these problem problem are likely to remain realities for for years, uh, which can justify our engagement in the development of the government and the country of Afghanistan. So we should put the Afghan peace negotiation at the top of our agenda. I don't believe we are doing well enough with making enough effort for peace settlement, but we should definitely do it. We are observing how violence has dramatically increased in the last few months. So uh, we need to do what we can to facilitate a mechanism of negotiation and keep the Taliban and, and Afghan government at the table of negotiation as soon as possible. Uh, the talk has been initiated, but unfortunately, it didn't make sufficient progress. And I can say no progress, at, actually. So the United States should support Af Afghan in reaching a political settlement by facilitating their dialogue, making it clear that future aid will depend on ascertained human rights guarantees, and also using diplomatic leverage to ensure uh, that Afghanistan neighbors, especially Pakistan, uh, play a more positive role in this country's future. Yeah, I think you, you hit a lot of important points about the different types of leverage that the United States still has that it can play a part in these negotiations. I mean, there are many different ways to to get shared interests and shared outcomes with Afghanistan that don't necessarily involve military support. I think after 20 years, we've exhausted about as much as we can get out of the military aspect. And now, as you said, it, it is time for, for our diplomatic or financial leverage um, and bringing in some of these other partner nations, um, trying to see what Pakistan could also do to help us to create a better common solution here uh, for what's what's going to move forward in Afghanistan. Um, and one of one of those is is realizing human rights. I think that's fundamental to a strong and stable Afghanistan that hopefully would not descend into radicalism further if we have a basic basis for human rights. So as as a person who worked to promote human rights in Afghanistan, what would you say is the impact of U.S. engagement in realizing those rights? Oh, a lot, a lot impacts. Uh, the United States engagement made 
huge impact in the promotion of human rights, changing women's conditions, creating opportunity for women and also minority groups to enjoy their life and their and, and the equal rights. So, uh, so with respect to women's rights, which which is the area I passionately work on when I was in Afghanistan. So the United States supports helped Afghan women to make a huge leap in rights and opportunity into their society. So uh, Afghanistan today is a home for female educators, for policymakers, for female law enforcement officers, female politicians. And today we see like, you know, a female peace negotiator at the table of the negotiation, peace talk. I mean, in addition to that, I mean, public views regarding women's rights, their access to education and job opportunity, for example, have dramatically changed in comparison to 20 years ago. Um, and although I give the credit of all this change to the hard and honest work of Afghan women, I should insist that uh, US, United States aid and technical assistance significantly helped Afghan women in their mission. And without them and without their support, probably we wouldn't gain that much uh, progress in Afghanistan. So for example, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about myself. I mean, my own story. I was born and raised in a male-dominated family where education for girls was not acceptable. Every part of women's lives was uh, controlled by men. I mean, by men, I mean men of the family. Uh, I mean, male members of the family. And uh, women's right uh, to work and education, making decisions for themselves was not absolutely allowed in my family. However, once I was uh, introduced to democracy and the laws that can protect women's rights, and when I realized that I have support that can have my back, I found confident to stand for my rights. I was only a teenager when I was hearing about the women's rights champion like Sima Sama, like Sakine Yahubi and many others sharing their messages to women through the media. I learned from their words and I was very inspired by their works, the work they were doing for gender equality and women's changing women's condition. And so all those inspired me to not only I stood for uh, to for my rights, but but also I became a human rights activist, traveling provinces to provinces to raise awareness among women about their rights. So uh, if today Afghan women are aware of their rights and female negotiators are fighting for women with the Taliban, it's partially associated with the system that was created to support and make such gains possible. And with the system, I mean an Islamic Republic, a democratic system. So, uh, well, certainly there is much more to be done for, prom for promoting women's rights and gender equality in Afghanistan. And it's very important for the United States to support those women and support them to preserve their gains and advance those rights that they made some progress to 
realize realize them so uh, so the united states engagement through diplomatic means and aid will assist Afghan women to secure those hard-won gains and make the social and political change that respect justice, equality, and human rights. Um, also, I should say, I mean, uh, protecting um, women's rights or helping women, women to pro or helping women to protect their rights is not only our moral obligation definitely we all as a nation who respect and believe in uh, human rights and human freedom uh, it's our def definitely it's our obligation to protect and help afghan women but also because women's rights continue to serve the u.s primary interest in the country and that is because women women are the carrier of both peace and economic progress in Afghanistan, which both can have notable impact on peace and prosperity at home here in the United States. Yeah, that's and that is a fantastic story. I, I just love hearing that how you how you were able to to realize your own your own power, your own capability, your own your own agency within your life to be able to um, to get this education that you're pursuing and to to become such an advocate for for human rights and for women's rights in particular um you know and, and i i think about 20 years of having you know the u.s backed ideas such as like basic democracy and human rights and women's rights and i think about how that's so transformational for an entire generation of people that everyone in Afghanistan now has had that for almost 20 years, it would be very difficult to put that back into the box, so to speak, right? Like it's now that everyone has, has sort of gotten used to this understanding of what of what women are capable of and, and women knowing what they're capable of and what they can do if only given the, not, not given the chance, but if they take that chance for themselves, um, that's something that, you know, even if you look at the Taliban continuing to gain a little bit more territory here and there, that's something that's just so difficult for them to try to put back into that box the way it was before. So that actually gives me a lot of hope that that Afghanistan will continue to push forward with with human rights, with women's rights, because that's not something that you can just, you know, turn the key, turn the clock back 20 years and say, okay, we're going to go back to the way it was, because so much has changed since then, and people know the power that they have now to act in these ways. Yes, definitely. So I guess shifting gears a little bit to uh, the United States specifically, what would you say that U.S. engagement means to the average American, especially in regards to Afghanistan? I, I believe all Americans uh, understand the cost of 20-year war was enormous on both the United States and Afghanistan. And, uh, and I think many Americans understandably want their troops to come home and end this forever war, which is, as I said, is totally understandable. Um, while they might believe that we should not use troops and military force to, uh, to enforce a dem democracy and also women's rights in Afghanistan, I think everyone knows that we cannot be safe, we cannot enjoy our peaceful life with ongoing conflict and violence in the world. Hence, I, I'm sure many Americans respect the United States engagement in Afghanistan, first to help the intra-Afghan peace deal be achieved, and, and second to continue helping Afghans 
uh, in development process of their country. When I say development, I mean social, economic, political development and creating a country with a good government which is respectful to its diversity, its citizens, human rights and the rule of law. So um, something and also let me tell you, I mean we are still in the coronavirus era and we didn't uh, totally get rid of it. Something that coronavirus taught us as one global community um, is that our safety is connected to the world security. Those who remember the tragic event that took place on 9-11 understand better that uh, growing radical groups threaten our security even, for even from thousands of miles away from us so american like you know look at american women american women have recognized that they cannot establish gender equality at home if it's a wishful thinking for many other women around the world and we always can do better collectively and that's why many i mean women organization are making huge effort a lot of effort to help other women around the world when I was working, I mean, uh, with uh, some women's organization group here in United States, uh, uh, I can say, I mean, there is a sufficient willingness to support women's act act activists and advocate to fulfill their mission of gender equality. For example, uh, I did a, a couple of months working with Feminist Majority Foundation, which is a national feminist organization, right? But they have been involved with advocating for Afghan women since the uh, beginning of the U.S. engagement in Afghanistan. They have actively advocated for participation of women in the peace negotiation. They support Afghan women's education and many other efforts as such. So, and also in addition to that, there are a number of good reasons for the United States to stay engaged in Afghanistan. Those include like, you know, counter-terrorism, great power competition, and the, I mean, the most importantly, the position of the United States in the world and protection of human rights, which is a part of our democratic values. So, and all of them are in our benefit and ignoring them will affect other people's life here at home. And that's why we should stay engaged. And I personally am old enough to remember 9-11 and even the, the years before that, I was only in well, early middle school when that happened. But, you know, I, I do remember that it was just such a, a shock to the American psyche to think that that something so monumental could happen seemingly from someplace that was so far away and unknown to almost everyone at the time. Um, and as you said, coronavirus has really taught us that, you know, once again, what, what happens abroad impacts us here at home. And so we can't just just close up shop and walk away and think that everything's going to be okay here because it's not. And that's there's a lot of different reasons for that, you know, not just, not just from the counterterrorism aspect, as you mentioned, but even something as simple as basic, like, something like global economics, you know, that is dramatically impacted by these events that happen all over the world. And that directly impacts the price of goods here at home, impacts the price of, of gasoline. And even more importantly than all of that, as you said, just the, the image of the United States that we continue to want to push out there that we are trying to do what we believe is right for most everyone, for as many people as possible. Uh, you know, it's not all just self-serving. 
there is some benefit to the United States itself for what we do, but we also want to benefit the rest of the world as much as possible because we believe that you know stability creates stability and chaos creates chaos. And the more that we can have stability in governmental systems where human rights, basic, um, just the basics of human dignity are respected, then that creates stability that can then you know, push out to the rest of the world and create a more stable world where, where people aren't being jailed just because their political beliefs. They're not being killed just because you know they're they want to read or learn how to write. You know these these basic fundamental protections that we want to make sure everybody has. It it benefits it benefits the United States, but it benefits everyone else as well. At least that's our perspective, and that's that's why we have to stay engaged. So speaking of moral leadership, to what extent do you think Afghanistan and the rest of the world at large, to what extent do you think that they look to the United States for moral leadership? You know, does, does America's actions or, or inaction on human rights abuses or the movement for social race, for racial justice, what does that impact with whether or not nations want to work with the United States? I think many Afghans, particularly those who work with Americans in the past 20 years, I work with USAID and, I, and what I say is what I observe among the Afghan working with Americans together for on, on common mission. So um, they believe in the moral leadership role of the United States. So if, if for 20 years Afghans fought the war on terror, again, shoulder to shoulder with Americans and supported the democracy that they have brought to them, they have introduced to them. That means Afghans saw the moral leadership in the United States and they wanted to support, I mean, uh, their path, right? So, but, but also I should also say that it is true that some Afghans, including the Taliban, uh, do not have the same view and belief, and they believe that Afghan need to de decide what they want to do with their lives and country by themselves. But I'm but I'm speaking from about uh, those Afghan who I work with and I and I observe the uh, as they were working um, together with with their American counterpart. Yeah, and I think that's something that we shouldn't forget in in considering all of this is that there there are many who do support the Taliban and who are a part of that movement, but there are so many who also have such great appreciation for what the United States has done and want to continue to see that vision that the United States had for Afghanistan and that many Afghan that many many people in Afghanistan had for themselves. And so it's very important that that we recognize this basis for human rights that that everyone should still be a part of, should still have. So even if, even if we have a lot of people who, you know, join the Taliban who become a part of that, and they continue to you know, potentially gain more territory, it's important to remember that e even if they they end up controlling large parts of Afghanistan, that that doesn't mean that the vision goes away. You know, that that we just say, well, I guess that didn't work out. I guess the Taliban rule now. It's we have to continue. To remember that so many in Afghanistan want that that vision that has been seen for 20 years and we must continue to fight for that because if if there's any injustice anywhere you know we, we have to try to work through that and to counter that and to make sure that we all enjoy the basic freedoms that that we should have 
Yeah, absolutely. And if we look at uh, women's uh, movement in Afghanistan, especially uh, since the peace agreement with the Taliban was signed. So since then, Afghan women have been actively raising their voice and saying and, and standing with, with, with their democracy and standing with their freedom of speech, standing with their human rights and they, and they repeatedly are saying there is no way that we can uh, uh, we can uh, sacrifice these gains. So uh, if there is such a he big movement of women going on in Afghanistan, this means they believe, they believe on the change that have been made and they want those change, they respect those change and this, they respect those change that have been made with, with the support of their American counterparts, with their support of their American colleagues and friends. So in looking to the future of, of Afghanistan and the United States relationship to it, what, what do you see are the biggest barriers to a lasting peace settlement between the Taliban and the Afghan government? I mean, do you think that a peace deal or some type of mediated settlement is possible without American military involvement? Um, look, Nick, I mean, uh, in a country like Afghanistan, with a long history of conflict among various ethnic groups, mostly over the power, who should rule who and whose majority, whose minority, establishing peace settlement is, a, is absolutely a difficult task. It takes time and I should say long time. For now, the biggest barrier to the peace settlement is the fact that the both sides, I mean the Taliban and Afghan government, are not ready to accept the reality and adjust themselves into the new reality of country and the people. Uh, the Taliban strongly believe that they can win the war through continued violence, through diminishing morale among the Afghan forces and, and damaging the image of Afghan, uh, of Afghan government to the people. I mean, similarly, Afghan government believes that they can resist militarily. I mean, in my opinion, both sides ignore some realities. The Taliban should know that should know that if the violence could give them power, it would in the last twenty years, right? Moreover, they should accept that they cannot rule a country of thirty-four million people with their I mean, their extreme ideology of Islam. It has been 20 years that Afghans are practicing democracy, enjoying the rights of freedom, freedom of expression, and electing, electing their representative and leaders. And, uh, and it's not, I mean, it's not a war. I mean, the Taliban should know that it's not their war. It's not against the government. It's against is against the people. The Taliban should recognize the rights of women and minority and respect the country's diversity. They are. I. I don't think they are ready to do so and to accept all these realities about Afghanistan. And I think that's that's a, such a big uh, barrier. Their lack of interest in negotiation, uh, speaking of their mind clearly at the table of negotiation, also show that they do not want to end this war through the peace negotiation, but through the violence and killing innocent Afghans. On the, on the other hand, the Afghan government seems that doesn't want to realize 
that international forces will not be with them if they want to go on with the war. In the last two decades, the government could survive with the support of international forces, but the forces are leaving and the government is expected to put more pressure on the peace settlement rather than mobilizing the local militia or any other means of conflict or intensifying this, conf this conflict which end up to killing more innocent Afghans. And about, the, um, uh, and about the second part of your question, I believe peace settlement uh, doesn't necessarily need American military, military involvement, but it definitely requires American engagement. As I said before, I don't think that United States does enough by putting pressure on both sides uh, for the peace negotiation. It's been more than 10 months since the actual, let's say, the so-called negotiation began. But no progress has been made. In a meeting just a few days ago when the Afghan delegation came to, um, to meet the Congress and the President, in a meeting with one of the female Afghan negotiators, I asked what is the Taliban definition of Islamic rules and I mean, based on which they expect women's right for education, work, and uh, freedom be conditioned. And in response, uh, she she said they they have repeatedly refused to answer that question. They ask the same question from the Taliban several times, but they repeatedly refuse to answer that. They don't speak evidently of their strategies on women's rights and women's participation. This shows that uh, it's not a real, it's, it's not a real negotiation, it's not really a negotiation. And this is when that unfortunately the United States doesn't concentrate enough on the negotiation. And it's when we need to have a better and more active engagement in the peace talk and make that happen. And uh, as we know, we don't we don't want to keep our engagement militarily, but diplomatically. And this peace uh, process gives us an opportunity to uh, to stay to in, to to intensify our diplomatic engagement. Yeah, I think that's been one of the one of the issues is we're focused so much. You know, the United States is focused so much on just the military withdrawal and kind of put the peace negotiations aside when really that still has to be front and center even as the United States is militarily exiting the country. Because as you said, and I think you think you bring very good clarity to the issue right now, because I think a lot of Americans just look at it and go, well, you know, why, why can't, why couldn't we just get rid of the Taliban? Or, well, I guess the Taliban is taking over some more territory now, so, so that's it. One day they're just gonna own it all. But really, it's so much more complicated than that. And you have these two large power centers that neither of them wants to back down right now. And neither of them sees that complete destruction of the other is just not a reality. As much as they might like it, we're going to have to learn to live with some aspect of both the Taliban and the, um, you know, the traditional Afghan government within the country. And that's exactly why there has to be a strong mediated peace settlement, because if we don't get a peace settlement in place, I I fear what could happen, and I don't think that that would do anyone any good if Afghanistan were to to descend into that level of, well, functionally, you know, I hate to use the phrase, but civil war, which you have seen in decades previously, 
that's why it's so imperative to to keep that engagement forward and to keep the pressure on for those peace talks because like we said before there's a lot of different leverage points that the united states and the afghan government can use that don't necessarily involve military action yes definitely i guess what do you think the average american could could or should do to help support this free and democratic afghanistan while the united states withdraws its military you know i want i want our listeners to have some kind of takeaway of what could i do to to help yeah that's actually such a good question um i think average americans can do a lot to support a democratic afghanistan uh, and the most important thing that every american can do is that to use their voices to support preserving democratic values and democracy uh, and a democratic system in Afghanistan. Um, Americans can ask their congresswomen and congressmen to stand with Afghans, particularly women, to protect their hard-won gains. We should keep the connection between the two countries, uh, civil society, and keep investing in the areas such as human rights, minorities, right, gender equality, uh, and also uh, meeting people's basic needs and preventing human suffering, famine, and so on in Afghanistan. I mean, that's something like every American can have a voice and can have a part in it. Um, also, we can uh, keep the relationship between the two countries, educational, cultural, and religious and institution for for future or for further cooperation and support and they can support each other in the time of crisis and hardship and they can support each other for realization and protection of human rights and gender equality and taking care of different uh, uh, different religious group different ethnic groups in Afghanistan and that's something I mean all Americans can can easily do and only in the last month, more than 900 Afghans, including women, children, and men were killed. They were people worthy of life, just like all of us. And it's, I mean, and, and we as a nation who's, who, who's eager to help, who's eager to support uh, uh, disadvantaged people, uh, we, can, we can offer a lot. If we, if we observe human rights violation after troops withdrawal or or if we see a brutal system of government like the one before 2001 is forming in Afghanistan, we need to use our voices and not let 34 million citizens suffer again. Yeah, I think you absolutely nailed it. And and I would even add to that, um, continuing to, to pressure our legislative officials to, to support bringing as many as many people in Afghanistan who supported the United States military, bringing as many of those you know, consultants and, and contractors and, um, and their families, bringing them to the United States in advance of the withdrawal. Because um, I know that was a bit of a sticking point with not necessarily bringing in as many of the people who helped us. I mean, these are people who you know, directly fought alongside the United States and they may be in danger as the United States begins to militarily leave. So a lot of these individuals are people who, you know, they're clearly in favor of the United States. They're clearly not a security threat. They're some of our best allies and some of the people who really had a, our back, and so we should have their back as well. Sure. 
you know, as we look to kind of close this out, turning to a more hopeful um, side of things, what are you most hopeful about for the future of Afghanistan and for United States engagement? Oh, it's so hard to speak about hope, but I like to be hopeful. So I'm hoping that uh, the United States uses uh, its diplomatic leverage to push regional actors, including neighboring countries, as I said before, uh, to get involved and support the Afghan peace process. That is very important. I can't insist enough that Afghan peace process is important. It's good that we, con it, it is very good that we concluded uh, that military is not a res resolution to this long lasting conflict and we should do something about it diplomatically. So whatever, government, we, we also need to know that whatever government is created in Afghanistan after the troops withdrawal is most likely to be a U.S. aid recipient. Hence, the United States has the leverage to push for the peace process. Uh, so I guess um, the ongoing peace process with, with its all defects and imperfections is something I'm most hopeful about the future of Afghanistan and also the continuous uh, U.S. engagement in Afghanistan. I think that's absolutely right. And something that we all, especially as Americans, should remember that even as the last troops leave, that doesn't mean that there's no more Americans in Afghanistan. Uh, there will continue to be substantial numbers of, as you said, you know, aid organizations and um, security contracting services and things like that there will still be a an American presence and a pretty substantial one, I would imagine. Um, and they will continue to push and have that leverage. And and something to keep in mind, they will also be at risk of um, you know any violence that may occur. So sure, the, the United States military is left, but there is still a substantial presence. And I think that presence can do a lot of good to really step in and drive the negotiations and take the, the lead seat at the table. Um, so I'm, I am hopeful as well that even though the United States military is leaving, that there is still a substantial presence who can still push for these, um, for these necessary changes and to continue to hold on to the gains that we've all made in Afghanistan. Yes. And that's it for this episode of the Orientalist Express podcast. I would like to once again thank my guest, Nazila, for joining the show today and want to say an extra thank you to the USGLC, which is the organization that put on the Next Gen Global Leaders program, which kind of helped bring us together. Thanks, of course, as always, to our listeners and readers of the blog. And be sure to check out our website at orientalistexpress.com, like and share on our Facebook page, or tweet us at orientalistdxp. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.